Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Today on the Sidewalk Talk podcast, George Kinder is in connection with me about crafting a new vision for our globe, for our society, for our communities. So George is a renowned financial planner. You may have heard of him. He's quite a visionary thinker. He's an outstanding public speaker. He's really revolutionized the field of financial planning by shifting the focus from accumulation of wealth to really helping people identify their deepest passions and desires and then creatively using their resources to help them live lives that are full of deep fulfillment. He's authored over seven books. I'm sure you've picked one of them up. His main objective is really to bring greater levels of freedom everywhere. And his latest book, A Golden Civilization and the Map of Mindfulness, he applies the practice of life planning that he developed on improving our whole darn society. So I'm excited for you to hear and feel his sweet, loving, brave, big energy, George Kinder. So George Kinder, I I guess we're both going to have to take Charlie out for a cup of tea or something next time we're in the UK. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that he put the two of us together and to be immersing myself in your Golden Civilizations work after I've already read your Seven Stages of Money Maturity, which I'm still <laughs> working on, to be honest with you. Oh my gosh. So. Can we just, I got to ask a big question. Yeah. Economics and mindfulness. I mean, you, (laughs) you bridge some really interesting things. Tell us a little bit about how you have started bridging the world of economics and spiritual practice in a way. Yeah. Well, gosh. And, uh, just I, I want to share. I'm blushing already here as you as you uh, describe my work and our relationship here that we've just met, and we have so much in common. I'm so passionate about what it is that you're doing and excited about to learn about what you're doing. In in terms of my work, um, I, I had to earn a living, so I became a and I was good at mathematics, so I became a, a tax preparer. I'd minored in economics at Harvard. But my passion all my life has been um, spiritual practice and, um, and, and actually poetry and the arts. And, but uh, spiritual practice, I pract- I've practiced a mindfulness-based practice f- three to four hours a day for 50 years. So it's, it's what I do best, what I know best. But my profession 
was in uh, originally was was doing tax returns for people, and so and then that morphed into um, it was always about listening, which is another way that we really connect around mm -hmm. what we're doing in the world. It's always about listening, and so uh, listening to the clients well enough that you uh, ultimately that you're dedicated to what their dream of freedom is, yeah. and they trust you enough to share that dream. So the, the economics started as just simply a way that I had to make a living. I had a little bit of experience in it. And what I uh, realized early on is I was passionate to live my own life of, uh, of freedom as best I could was that ultimately money was about, um, not about, the dollars and cents, not about what the government says it's about or what corporations say it's about, but ultimately it's meant to deliver us into freedom. So now with this um, final book on money, the Golden Civilization book, I'm kind of taking on both democracy and economics, um, but recognizing that the deepest layers of freedom for many people are the spiritual layers for most of us, are the uh, uh, whether we have an explicitly religious practice or whether it's a, a mindfulness kind of uh, being in nature or uh, being alive to the spirit. Um, and so in economics, the real link there, Tracy, is, is really interesting. If economics is meant to deliver us into freedom and mindfulness is one of the ways now, one of the most uh, popular uh, ways, almost consumer-like ways to experience freedom, then shouldn't the uh, delivery of freedom in economic terms be about moments of freedom rather than moments of financial transaction? Mm -hmm. And so that's really the link. That's where I'm going, boy, this is it. This is a, a major a paradigm shift for economics. Uh, it's very related to the happiness movement, and it's it's time we did it. It's it's um, it's that uh, what they call the fourth turning in in, in Buddhism. It's the time to. Uh, it's why the the darkness is so deep right now. We feel it, but we feel the passion of so many of us, passionate about connecting and making the world a great place. So. Mm. So, what's in between that space? of freedom and transacting like I'm, I'm I'm my intellect isn't quite catching up with when you said that something happened in my body I'm feeling something very um maybe it's a longing or a desire for something to do to get from that transaction to that freedom but if we're not transacting what is it that we have to do to feel that freedom do we have to do something different with our money is it simply meditating more like how do we how do we how do I quench that longing for that freedom in how I'm working with the way I think about money? Yeah, lovely. Uh, lovely question. And and of course, yes, meditate more. <laughs> <laughs> like probably my number one, if I'm not in a political community, my number one advice uh, piece of advice to people is if you're not meditating, uh, start. And if you are meditating, double the amount that you meditate. <laughs> Because it it always delivers more uh, more freedom, more uh, awareness, more awakening. But the, um, the the the, re the the linkage is important because 
transactions are and, and economics are ways of kind of calculating and uh, analyzing. They're, they're data-driven. They're driven by a traditional map of space and time. And one of the things that I'm suggesting is that our traditional map of space and time even is, is inappropriate. And uh, it, it uh, leads us into a lot of problems because it focuses on the past and the future primarily. And, um, and that's where our, our guilt and shame arises. That's where our attachment arises. Um, uh, so I've redesigned that map of time and space in, in my book, I call it the map of mindfulness. And the map of mindfulness still has the future and the past, but it's centered on the present moment. And, um, and that's a, it's a really interesting map, looks a bit like an hourglass. The, um, th this notion of how do we get from transaction to freedom, the, the first thing that, that's most important for all of us, and this goes back to my seven stages and life planning work, is that we, we know what freedom means for us, that we spend some time with someone who's very good at listening. It could very well be, you know, one of your 7,000 volunteers uh, and, uh, and certainly lead them to the question, the kind of questioning that we ask in the life planning movement as well. But it's very important that we ask ourselves uh, uh, the most profound and deepest questions. What does freedom look like? Mm -hmm. And some of that is, um, is financial. I mean, some of it requires finance. Um, all of it in some way requires a relationship to the world as we know it, which has a lot of money obstacles in it. So the transactions become really very important. But if we're not, if we're not really clear what freedom looks like to us, then those transactions can lead us to you know, fixing up our kitchen, say, when what we really want to do is, is have a deeper spiritual life. Mm. And so there we're taking these resources, money is a resource, and we're, uh, that, that, that gives us access to um, moments in the future and to present moments. And we're using that, those resources to take us further away from what freedom really looks like for us, which is why you want a really good listener, why, we, why uh, the people I've trained are called life planners. Mm -hmm. And they're also, as your volunteers are, they're in 30 countries all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's, boy, it's all about listening, uh, listening mm -hmm. to ourselves and then hopefully having someone who can listen to us as well. Mm -hmm. So, what I'm hearing is that there that the the answer to my question is that moving from transaction to freedom requires a deep inner understanding, often that gets unearthed in dialogue about what my own personal definition of freedom is in this life, and that then we start to get intentional about what we're transacting around because our transaction needs to be in alignment with our definitions of freedom because if we mindlessly transact and remodel that kitchen it takes us further away from our definition of freedom is that am i hearing am i getting that right yeah that, that's that's exactly right and having someone who understands some of the money elements is extremely valuable because uh, most of us are, are are kind of ignorant about how how we could 
save that that money piece is is really valuable mm -hmm. uh to know and so to be really wise in the ways of money most of us don't want to become masters of that but it does become very valuable to have more than a, a therapist or a coach someone mm -hmm. who really knows the ways of money but is trained in in listening and in uh and is passionate about delivering people into their dreams of freedom Mm. Mm. So I have so many questions, but I'm going to go off script here a little bit because I just have a new question that just popped in. You know, in in all of this, you know, there's the mindfulness practice that we do on our cushion or in our homes on our own. And then there's the mindfulness that happens in relationship, which I almost hear you giving a nod to when you have somebody listening to you around your definitions of freedom. How important is interdependence rather than independence or mutual wealth and freedom versus personal wealth and freedom how does how important is that when you think of golden civilization yeah the uh um uh it, it's a really important question and um I think when we imagine, and, and this is one of the things we do in our work, is we ask people, we get groups together rather than uh, so much one-on-one, -on -one, but one-on-one's fantastic too. Just ask people to imagine a golden civilization and what does it look like? And it always has people in it. It always has other people in it. Uh, so it, it requires, um, and it, it always has respect in it. It always has kindness in it. Um, but it also has kind of individual creativity and vitality. Uh, um, it has transparency and hope. Uh, so there's things that are both interdependent and independent there. And when we design our dream of freedom, uh, most of us have at uh, the center of that dream, most people have at the center of that dream their family. Mm -hmm. um, their kids, their their significant others, and um, and so I, I think it's it's um, it, it's terribly important. And that the question that comes up for me as you're asking this question about interdependence versus independence is kind of the um, the many meanings of freedom that we have uh, mm -hmm. in in our lives and in civilization. We one of the things that we're passionate about right now, um, we in the Golden Civilization conversation movement that, that we have, we are imagining it as participative democracy. Mm -hmm. And in imagining it in that way, we're very aware of the freedoms that our democracy has given us, the freedoms of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly. And those freedoms, if you think about it, um, if you look at what's happened to Tibet and the loss of religious freedom there, um, all it takes is one autocratic government. You could go back to Henry VIII in England, uh, which was a burgeoning early stage uh, democracy, uh, but, but still ruled by the king. And he decided because they he needed money and they weren't giving him a divorce so he took over all the monasteries and took all their money and so the deep spiritual practice that had been practiced in england was suddenly 
completely lost. So, so the, these freedoms um, relate to each other. And it, it's another reason why in, in Buddhism, there's right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Mm-hmm. How do we engage in the world is as important to our own freedom and the, the bodhisattva's vow of freeing all sentient beings before, in fact, freeing, completely freeing myself. So I, I think there, 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 there are many ways to understand the importance of both interdependence and independence. At the same time, you know, we, we die alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and what yeah. we've done, we've done, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in a way, I, what I'm almost hearing you say is that one of the forms of freedom, participatory democracy is one of the freedoms, right? Yeah. Because we are choosing to, rather than go out and buy a bunch of stuff, spend our time in a golden civilization dialogue where we're coming together with our own creative spirits to design and discuss how we want to govern ourselves as a collective. Am I exactly. getting that in, getting that right? Exactly. And, and it's... Um... It's a place that we've, I mean, one of the reasons that we find ourselves in a crisis in developed democracies right now, or seem to find ourselves in that crisis, is that we've assumed that um, we're not responsible, that we, you know, we vote once, once, uh, once in a while, if need be, and not all of us do, and, and we assume that they will take care of it. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to, I think what we're discovering is that if we want to have that freedom, we need to be engaged. Mm-hmm. We need to do what you're doing with your community, which is listen and, uh, and uh, talk with people um, mm. everywhere. You know, for a really sweet, kind guy that meditates three hours a day, you sure are a shit disturber that tries to get people to like poke at their political systems a little bit. Cause you're not, it's not I just, I had to say it, it's not a mamby-pamby kind of Buddhism where you're sitting meditating. You're really saying, I, and I've heard you say this in some other interviews, speak truth yes. to power, Absolutely. get involved, take personal responsibility. It's, you're an interesting, interesting amalgam of many things, George. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy, <laughs> uh, you got me blushing again here. Uh, um, the, it's, uh, it's been very interesting engaging uh, in that way, and looking at the original teachings of the of the Buddha, as it happens to be the path, the major path that I follow at this point, although I've done many, and um, the, uh, the the teachings about right livelihood have to do with usually they're interpreted as um, not stealing, not killing, not harming others, um, but it, the Buddhist in the Buddhist time. Um, there were kings everywhere. I mean, he's in one of the versions of his life. He's a prince, and his father was a king. Uh, the what once democracy came along, part of all of our right livelihood was to tend to that garden. You know, the, the garden of democracy, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're seeing now that if we don't tend to it, um, we can lose it. Uh, so how can we tend to it still? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll stir it up, Tracy. No, <laughs> I invited you to. So <laughs> <go for it. laughs> how, can we, how can we tend to it? Um, 
uh, with with kindness and without attachment. That's what mindfulness does for us: is it gives us more and more ability to communicate with each other and to listen uh, to everyone. So how can we do that and then still speak without attachment, without aversion, but uh, really clearly as to what is what is right, what has integrity, what has authenticity, um, what delivers freedom, uh, and uh, what doesn't. I, you know, and I hear you say that, and I don't know. Like, I, for me, I go, yes, yes, but then how? Like, I think about, for example, you know, police officers shooting African-American people or Black people in the United States, or I think of Citizens United that, you know, treat corporations in the U.S. like citizens and how that has shaped how much uh, political speech we have as individuals, right? Yeah. Um, it's hard to not get it. Like, what do you mean by non-attachment? I'm just mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, I mean, uh, you know, you go back to Martin Luther King and, and uh, or the great prophets in the in the Old Testament. You got lots of righteous uh, righteous indignation there, and that's what we are finding ourselves, I think, full of. Uh, yeah. In, um, but what what's great about the mindfulness practice and meditation is that, and and the work that you're doing on the sidewalks um, is that every person who comes up to you has a heart that is beating. That's and right. And the the, the place where the heart doesn't beat is in large institutional structures. Mm. Uh, a lot of people have hearts beating in there, but the structures themselves have a hierarchical purpose that doesn't always take into consideration um, a care, compassion, empathy, listening. And so I think that's really where we are right at this moment is how do we implant a human heart into every major institution in the world mm. so that it automatically delivers compassion, delivers a sustainable planet, delivers democratic freedoms, and is dedicated to all of us mm. uh, as much as it is to um, uh, its own sustainability as a profit-making organization. So yeah. I think that's where we are. Yeah. Well, you know, I agree with you. Um, we both found our ways in different ways to this desire to create heart-centered connecting. And I hear you creating heart-centered institutions. Mm. I, I, I'm curious to hear your answer to this. Um, why, what, where did we lose ourselves here, though? I yeah. mean, people are good people. And, and, and I'll, I'll include myself so that I don't embodying righteous indignation where did i lose myself like how how have we gotten off track from our hearts and, and objectified and dehumanized and created institutions that are harmful in many yeah. ways yeah yeah i i have two answers one of them is that we haven't that we're we're right on target mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is that we lost it about 30 years ago so there's there's two two ways. In a way, you know, if you look at the the um, diversity that uh, our friends, yours and mine, probably insist upon, um, we, we are welcoming. Uh, you know, we had a black president for eight years. Uh, 
we are welcoming uh, the, uh, uh, the, the the diverse communities, uh, and and that is a movement that's happening, and that we're spearheading it all over the world. I was just saw a, a case today of a, a Japanese reporter who um, I didn't find it in detail, but she uh, said that she was raped by the CEO, I think, of one of the large institutions over there, and she won her case. And this is a a major thing, which means that Me Too has arrived in Japan. Um, so I, I think that there's a way in which we are moving forward. The movements that are gathering, that are upset about the forces of autocracy right now, look, look at Hong Kong uh, and what it's doing. We're learning from each other, communicating with each other, opening our hearts more with greater listening than we've ever been, uh, had the capacity uh, to do, I mean, you, even yourself. Think about thirty. Well, I don't know how old you are, but if you think thirty or I'm 40, almost almost fifty. Okay, <laughs> 30, thirty years ago, you know, people didn't listen the way you're training people to listen, and certainly didn't happen in in the financial world the way I've trained people. Uh, so I think there's a way in which we are moving forward, and we have been moving forward. The way that we kind of got stuck was that. Um, we, we were concerned with government power. This is when I say we, I mean the, the uh, kind of the larger forces that made decisions. We're, we're discerned with government power and we should always be concerned with, with powers that any large institution has, whether it's government, corporate or nonprofit. And so we were uh, concerned with that and we made a shift dramatically to um, reduce that power and to distribute it uh, to uh, corporate, largely to corporations, to corporate mm -hmm. forces. And what we're realizing now, many of us are realizing now is, well, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. These guys are just as bad as the government and in some cases uh, worse, in many, many ways worse. So particularly looking at climate. So, but in many things. So I think that in a way we went, of course, and then what you were saying about Citizens United, we have given so much power away to um, the, uh, both the billionaire class and large corporate institutions and nonprofits that we're feeling that our foundation is shaky. And so it's time for that movement that still, that is diversifying, that is believes in freedom, uh, that has expanded democracies all over the world over the last 30 or 40 years, um, it's time for that movement uh, to look directly at these hierarchies of power where we've given too much power and allowed them to do things that are inhumane. And the link where dialogue and human connection and listening come in, if I'm sort of interpreting what you're saying correctly, is that when we take up the practice of, say, a golden civilization dialogue or a sidewalk talk conversation, that it prepares us, it strengthens us to participate in democracy in the way that fosters freedom. Is that is that kind of what your hypothesis is? That dialogue I, in this way does exactly that. I th I, th I think that's right, and and uh, I, I mean I I've got I I I long to learn more about what you're doing and share with you what we're doing in our, in our conversations. Because I think that, um, you, you know, what, 
if we can convince people through listening thoughtfully to them that um, that there are ways of gathering in groups uh, in community that are non-hierarchical, that where everybody gets their gets to deliver what they want. And there may be somebody's going for a market-based solution, somebody's going for a, a heart-based solution, somebody's going for a, uh, a government-based solution to the same problem, that we can all work together if what we're really working toward is the, the, this common vision of a, of a golden civilization. And what we found as we've gone around the world now creating, uh, at, at this point, it's, it's uh, paltry compared to what you've done, but a few hundred uh, conversations all over the world, uh, and, uh, is that everybody longs for, whether you're in India or America or Hong Kong or Japan or Europe or Africa, everybody longs for the same vision of a civilization that's vital and, and kind and respectful and creative and and has freedom in it. So, um, so maybe it's time for us to gather together like your sidewalk uh, uh, conversations and doing a similar kind of thing in small groups and taking action, moving from that listening sphere to choosing to take individual action to preserve and strengthen and deliver uh, freedom. Into, into our communities around us and, and to the larger community of the world itself. Yeah. It seems like there is a movement because sidewalk talk and golden civilization dialogues are not the only places where these desires and longings are being manifested for dialogue. Yeah. And it's really powerful to watch this collectivism emerge. But what I think is powerful about what you said is we can't just stop at the dialogue, though. We have to take the dialogue and then also do something with it. And yeah. it sounds like that's at the crux of some of what you're creating in your Golden Civilization Dialogues. Do you want to just out? I know that I'm talking, but I think it'd be helpful for the audience to hear just a little bit more about what specifically happens in these dialogues and what is the outcome after yeah. somebody attends one. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. The um, it's a really simple design, and it, it's based on uh, the life planning mu movement that I that I did in the in the financial world to get to uh, train people to listen and then deliver people into freedom. So I thought my thought was seeing what was happening with the climate, seeing what was happening in the banking crisis ten years ago, and then seeing this uh, shakiness of democracy. My thought was, wh what if we life plan civilization? Wouldn't that work? Because it works when we life plan people. So the, the way we do it is it starts off with um, the, this gathering of people. And I, I think the largest gathering we've got is 100 people. Um, you know, six people is great. It, it, you know, any size will do. You gather uh, a group of people together and you, you draw a circle on a flip chart or a piece of paper and have people fill in what would be there in a golden civilization. That's the golden civilization chart. And once that's done, pretty, pretty much we all agree on what people enter. They're all beautiful things. And then we go, okay, so, well, you know, um, what if we were to deliver this within a generation? Because that's, that's my passion and that's how life planning works is let's, let's make it 
let's get it right away, basically. Mm -hmm. What if we were to deliver this to the world in a, in a generation, one 20 year period, how would that be? And people get very excited and a little scared. And then you go, okay, so the second chart, the second thing we're gonna do is let's, let's look at then what the obstacles are. Mm -hmm. And in the obstacles chart, we've got a smaller circle in the middle, which is meant for inner obstacles. And mm -hmm. then the, the larger square of the flip chart is for outer obstacles. And it can be done on a piece of paper, it doesn't have to be. So you've got outer obstacles and inner obstacles. So we list them all, fear and greed always come up, but corruption, you know, politics, uh, big corporations, you know, you name it, it all, it all comes up. Religion often comes up. Um, certainly belief systems come up. So you get, you get the obstacles. And then you've got one more chart and that's it and you're done. And that chart is a mix, mix of actions and commitments. And the commitments is just kind of a little sweet little coda at the very end of the meeting. So the actions are, well, what actions might we take or might the powers that be take that would solve these obstacles in a, in a hurry so we could have the golden civilization in a generation? And so you get the people to come up with what the actions, what really needs to happen. Mm. Um, and... Uh, so yesterday I was with Charlie, actually, and, and Charlie spoke <laughs> about education, and he spoke about listening, and he spoke about getting money out of politics. Uh, and I, it's, there was, I think, one other one, but those were the main ones, I think. Um, and so we have those actions, and then, well, what's your personal commitment? What will you do between now and the next time we meet? Mm -hmm. And that's where the action happens and often it's just well i'm going to go out and i'm going to sit on the on the sidewalk and i'm going to have uh two more talks this week than i normally would have you know mm -hmm. and uh and that's just great uh or it's going to be i'm going to write my congressperson or or um you know i'm going to get i'm going to study how we educate our kids now on greed and fear and see if we can do something on that uh, and I'll bring it back to the next meeting. And we'll talk about that. Um, so the, um, we never hierarchy. We never say you've got to join in a group and you've got to all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We let people vote. So we see where there are subgroups that might come. But sometimes one person just wants to live a, a more profound life, wants to live as if the golden civilization were already here. And that's all that he or she is going to do. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful that's just lovely and they'll come in and share that with us the next time mm -hmm. um so uh so that's that's really how it works and people come back the next time and they share what they've done and usually there are subgroups that are working on something like homelessness in the area or on education or one of the ones i love is happening in london where they've designed and are designing a manual of wisdom for ages six to ninety six mm -hmm with a particular focus on institutional wisdom. Mm -hmm. so, um, so it's just beginning, Tracy. And I, but I, I think that with structures like this, and I know other groups are working in similar veins, I don't see how we can fail. Hmm. I'm just, yeah, it's really beautiful. I really, you know, it's funny, there might be some serendipity too. Do you know there's actually, um, and you maybe already know this, so I'm not trying to be patronizing, but there's actually research that supports your model that the way you've got it structured is actually um, 
the best way to motivate people to take action. Have you heard of the WOOP method, W-O-O-P? No. Oh, I'll have to send this to you. You actually are almost following it to the T. Wow. Um, she, you know, her, her, what she's found is that, uh, I can't remember her name, she's a German researcher, but she's currently at NYU, I believe. Um, positive thinking alone makes us feel worse. And actually, some of the manifestation mindset can demotivate us because it gets us so relaxed that we're not engaging because we're just waiting for the thing to magically appear. And she said, well, actually, you need to sit in the wish of what you want to envision, but then you also need to list all of the obstacles in the way of that wish. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you don't, your nervous system doesn't get charged up enough to take action. Yeah. And then the third piece is that you need to have some accountable plan of yeah. action to deal with those obstacles. And so you're following Whoop exactly. <laughs> There's even an app for Whoop. So probably we, we need to have the two. I mean, it, it, it sort of gives a lot of science behind what you've intuited from Golden Civilization supporting the exact models. It's really, really That's, that's fabulous. It's, it's actually the life planning model. And I uh, owe a lot to uh, the way. Joseph Campbell understood um, the hero's journey that mm. uh, that we uh, need to uh, counter encounter that darkness and move in, uh, through it into the light. So, well, that's mm. wonderful. I'll, I'll research that. Well, I'll send you. I'll send you something. This is great. I'm aware that I've taken a lot of your time, and I suspect this will be just the beginning. I think you, me, and Charlie are going to have to have a, a play date together. Um, I can already tell. <laughs> I'm coming in uh, in late April and uh, and the first three weeks in May to to the UK. The UK. I may be in the Netherlands and Belgium uh, during that time too. But uh, okay. my primary offices is UK. I'd love to uh, meet you. Yes, and maybe I'll get you two to get out on the sidewalk with me. Charlie said he'd bring his his nineteen year old son too. He said he'd be with wow. him. That'd be so fun. Could I bring some other people too? Oh There's yes, absolutely. We can we can do a little mini training and we could do a little a little event. I think it'd be super. Fun. That would be so much fun. We've we've done uh, we did a uh, golden civilization conversation on the top of Primrose Hill. Oh, neat! Really? In a way, in a way trying what you're doing but not really knowing how to do it. So I look forward to your training. Oh, that's sweet. So we, we have a little tradition here in how we close this dialogue. And it's, it, it involves me sort of getting out of the way and having you come into connection with our volunteers that sit on sidewalks and speak directly to them and not to be some kind of wish for them or wisdom or advice about their listening out on the sidewalk. Yeah. What would yeah. you offer those 7,000 listeners? Ooh, wow. Well, I think that listening is the key really to, uh, to everything. And, um, uh, and really listening to the present moment uh, delivers uh, freedom. Whether it's to someone we're listening to who's sharing, uh, or listening uh, deeply to ourselves, and I, I think the um, the for me the the preparation for great listening to others and to the world, to the uh, to my senses and everything, is uh, is mindfulness practice because there we're explicitly listening to the present moment 
and to what is happening inside of ourselves unfiltered by our thinking and therefore allowing more of our heart to emerge. So my, um, uh, my wish <laughs> or my charge or my piece of wisdom is what I shared earlier. If you already meditate, if you don't meditate already, uh, start, uh, make it a, a routine, a regular practice. And if you do, double the amount that you're doing on a daily basis. It will only uh, bring great rewards to everything that you do in your life. Mm. Mm. George Kinder, what a beautiful dialogue. And it's been so lovely to listen to you and, and be in your presence. And thank you for generously offering your time for all of us to learn from you. And I hope that it's just the beginning. I, I do too, Tracy. Thank you so much. You have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from, and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.